Let's go ahead and get into the Word this morning. And if you have your Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to John chapter... (laughs) Chapter what? 18. All right, John chapter 18. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for this time we have together. We believe that you're at work in our midst and doing great things in our lives. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your wisdom. We look to you to receive all things that we need now in Jesus' name. Amen. In John 18, let's read our text in verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, Say it out loud. What is truth? And that's a question a lot of people have today. We've been in this series called True or False for the last couple of months. And it's very important that we know not only that truth exists, that there is a reality that some things are true and some things are false. That's astonishing to some. Uh, But also, as believers, we must be able to tell the difference. And I want to get us here at Life Church, to the point where we can uh, quickly and easily discern between right and wrong. And things that are blatantly false, we'll just receive it. We, are, we just won't receive it. Sorry. We just walk away from it. We just not have anything to do with it. But you can't do that unless you recognize it. All right? I know a, I know a minister, a really good guy, but he used to teach uh, in a Bible school. And he told me one day, he taught his class, he, he, had them for, he had a particular class for two hours. He said, the first hour, I taught them a bunch of stuff that was false. He just tweaked it a little bit and taught bad doctrine, false things. And the second hour, he told them. But the thing was, the vast majority of them were deceived. They didn't sit there going, that's not right. There's something wrong with this. They were not recognizing what he was teaching them to be in error. And that's a sad commentary for believers to not be discerning enough to recognize. If we just idolize personality and and charisma and different things where we just think, well, that was great but we're not analyzing what we're actually eating, hmm, it can really mess you up. And he said the students were mad (laughs) after he told them everything I just told you now was not true. Some of them were upset, but he set himself up real well to teach them, don't you just swallow everything you hear. Don't you just believe everything that comes out of someone's mouth just because you know them or you like them or or they're respected by someone else or they have a book or a TV program or, or something. That doesn't make them right. We've got to be those who judge. Amen. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We judge and discern between what's true and what's false so we can tell the difference. Amen. 
Now, whenever the Word of God is taught, it, is all, it always dispels lies and misconceptions about God and His will for us. And this is something that we've got we've to remember, um, uh, that there's, there's always wrong ideas perpetuated by our world around us. And our focus and continuance in God's Word is the solution to continually dispel those. People have issues and problems in various areas of their lives, and we know this. Jesus said, if you'll know the truth, it'll set you free. And so when we believe things that are wrong, it produces problems. It really does. It produces bondages in our lives. We get held under uh, things that we're really, we really should be liberated from. And knowing the truth is the answer to that. And so the Word of God is always dispelling lies and, and misconceptions because you don't see God. I mean, you don't just walk up to Him in the flesh and say, Hey, what about this? This is a life of faith where we have to discern what's true and what's false. And so uh, you re- recall last week I was giving you several um, guidelines for discerning and judging sound doctrine. Remember that? And uh, things, just principled things that we can use whenever we hear something that doesn't seem right. Can, you know, can I, can I run that through a filter? Absolutely we can. And there's many things that will expose wrong ideas and wrong teaching. Let me give you some examples here today, uh, just for the first part of this message. Several examples of unsound words. All right. I I mean, and this is not exhaustive by any means, but I mean things like this. Uh, All religions and beliefs are equal and lead to God. That's an unsound word. And and what what I was doing... um, I was just writing just several things down that came to mind of unsound words. And then afterward, in fact, it was even just late yesterday afternoon before the service, I started, I started scribbling out to the side because I began to recognize and I asked the question, uh, why would the enemy perpetrate this lie upon the body of Christ? And I began to see real quickly, well, this is why he wants us to believe this. This is why he wants us to believe this, because it advances uh, part of his agenda or slows down what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Okay, when you talk about this, how many understand if we take the belief and if we think it's true that really Jesus isn't the way, but anything is the way, anything a person wants to believe or accept, and uh, they're all equal and they're all fine, well, how many know that's going to make us ineffective as a church? If I don't think that you really need Jesus, but you can just believe in anything, then why would I bother talking to you? Why would I bother, especially because it can be uncomfortable if someone doesn't receive? You, you have the potential of being rejected by people, even though really it's not you, it's the Lord. But if I share the truth with you, you don't receive it, that, I, I, I'm putting our relationship in jeopardy. Why would I bother if nothing was really right? I wouldn't. And the enemy wants to shut you up. Really, that's what some of these lies are intended to do. And even if you're already saved, if you take on that belief, your evangelism stops. All right. Here's another one. The Holy Spirit and His gifts are not for today. The Holy Spirit and His gifts are not for today. That's for the early church. That's for some time in the past. But now we just kind of, all we do, we just have class. You know, it's all a mental exercise in spirituality. It's not about power. It's not about God's gifts and demonstration. What does that do? It simply makes the church powerless. Why would the enemy want you to believe that? Because you wouldn't have any power. You'd just be an intellectual battle. Amen. And so we need to have the power of God. Here's another one. 
It's about healing. Healing is not for all, and miracles have passed away. Miracles have passed away. Well, why would the enemy want people to believe that? That's an unsound word. It doesn't agree with Scripture, but think about it again. From the enemy's perspective, why would he want us to believe that? Simply to keep you sick. He wants to keep the body of Christ sick. Why? Because when you're sick, you don't feel like doing anything. Right? When you're sick, you don't want to help anybody. You don't want to go anywhere. You want everyone to take care of you. And if you get sick enough, not only don't you want, don't you want to, you can't. You get sick enough, you can't move. You get sick and sick and sick enough, you die. Right? That's a good lie. If I was a devil, I'd probably say the same thing. You're supposed to object to that, me being a devil thing. <laughs> Not going to do it. Uh, all right, here's another one. Here's another one, an unsound word. Prosperity and riches are evil. Prosperity and riches are evil. Some teach that. Some preach that. But again, if I, if, if I was the enemy, why would I want people to believe? Why would I want the body of Christ to believe that? Because I want to keep them poor. They may love God, they may love people, they may want to do great things, but they're broke so they can't. They're broke so all they can think about is paying off their credit cards and paying their bills and barely making it through life. It's the plan of the enemy to keep the body of Christ out of the abundance that it takes to finance the gospel going all around the world. Here's another one, unsound word, the new birth isn't necessary. The new birth isn't necessary. What this does is it produces kind of a socialized Christianity. We learn the lingo. We do Christian things. We, we act like Christians, but we're not really changed on the inside. And that's a big lie from the devil. And you think, well, I don't, is that really something that's in jeopardy? Uh, listen, there are churches today that at one time... They got people saved by the thousands. They, they had a great move of God. Today, people call them a Christian church, but there's, no, there's nothing happening there. People are not being born again. They teach, them, they teach them be kind to your neighbor. They teach them do certain things like that, but they don't teach that you must be born again. Amen. Isn't it inconvenient when God's Word gets in, in the way of your beliefs? And, uh, and Jesus says opposite of what you hold to be true but again that's a work of the enemy i believe and here's another one the church should focus solely on humanitarian efforts that all the church is about is is helping the poor or something of that nature well why would the enemy want us to solely focus on those type of things because then we don't focus on truth then we don't proclaim what's true and what's false and nothing gets done all right, we back off. Here's another one, unsound word. We are weak, lowly sinners, and God is in control. Well, that's, one of the, that's a popular unsound word. It is. But why would the enemy want a person, want believers to believe that? I'm nothing, I'm good for nothing, I'm just so unworthy and not, I can't do anything and whatever God's going to do, he's going to do because that makes us passive. The enemy wants a passive church, us believing that we can't and it's all in God's court. If he wants something to happen, bless God, he's going to do it but if he doesn't, there's nothing we can do. Man, what a terrible thing to believe. How many understand if there's a, you know, we have soldiers on the battlefield today 
and uh, if, uh, if one of our soldiers is being confronted by an enemy and they're shooting at him, he doesn't get on the, uh, on the sat phone and say, I need to talk to the president. Someone is shooting at me. I need you to, I need you to, to, to get me out of here. I need some help here. Right? Is that what he does? <laughs> no. What? One, he's not going to get through to the president probably, but uh, what, what does he need to do? Pick up his own gun, use the training he's been given, the authority he's been given, and shoot back. Right? right? Get, or get on the offense and, and get some something done there. But too often, that's the way Christians approach life. I'm, a, I'm under attack. Something's happening to me. God help! No God help. Are you listening? That's not the way. He already helped. He already gave you a gun. He gave you the name of Jesus, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the authority that we have in Christ. Stand up and do something about it. But you see how, isn't that, that's just clear, that's just simple. But so many believers don't think that way. They've been taught wrong. And what, it done, what it's done is it's made us passive. All I can do, I'm helpless, I just waiting on God to do something for me. All right? That's a way to recognize. It's an unsound word. I realize I could say a lot more about that. We'll do, we will at another time. All right, here's another one. Everyone has a demon and needs deliverance. Ever heard that one? I don't know if you, maybe you haven't. But some teach and preach, all believers have demons and everyone has to be delivered of demons. You've got to get all your demons cast out. Well, not only is that not true biblically, because we have been delivered in Christ, uh, what it does is, is the enemy gets people busy you know they're the they're the hamster on the treadmill or you know that wheel what is that called the treadmill or that's people that do the treadmill (laughs) (laughs) nothing against the treadmill you know the hamster going nowhere or the people going nowhere (laughs) we're just burning calories but when Christians get involved, and I've got to get this out of my life, again, it puts them in a position where I'm helpless, I can't do anything, they think about the devil, they're just demon conscious, and, uh, and they get involved in that, and it, you can see that it's, a, it's an unsound word. Actually, that kind of stuff opens up the door for, for demons to, to take root in people's lives. Uh, just believing, oh yeah, you, you got a problem, what, you know, you're, you got wrong thoughts, well, you're, it's a demon, we've got to cast it out. Well, you, you, you're, you know, you've been eating too much? That's just a demon. No, it's flesh. <laughs> right? We want to cast everything off on something we can't control. It's not my fault. It's the devil. Let's go on to the next one. Here's, a, here's another unsound word. Uh, there is no hell. There is no hell. Now, we might want there to be no hell, but it doesn't change, the way, change what is. But why would the enemy want people to believe that? No consequences. And why, again, why would I be motivated to preach the gospel and share with people if when they die it doesn't really make any difference? And there are a lot of people teaching that today. But let's go back to the Word. We go back to the first, first couple parts of this series. How do I know that there is? Because Jesus said there was. And He's the one who healed the sick and raised the dead taught amazing things, prophesied his own death, and then fulfilled it. I'm going to go ahead and listen to what he has to say. Not some guy on marijuana. Came out, came out with a new book and a new idea about God and how everybody's safe. 
I'm not going to go by that. Show me some little resurrection here. I'll may, may pay attention. Here's another, here's another one. This is the last one in my list of examples here. Is that you must follow me or any individual person. People really get off base and they get into unsound doctrine and get, in, get cultic when it becomes that you must follow a particular individual and your salvation is somehow hinged upon that. That you can't have a relationship with God outside of me. Or, or, or our church is it. It's all about what we're doing. We're, we have the truth and nobody else does. All right. That's when someone gets into error. And when someone begins to promote and exalt themselves as the only way or the only voice, the only thing that God is saying, uh, using in the earth today, then stay away. That's an unsound word. Amen. There are two things that I want to help us with today because we, we need protection from error. And we need to position ourselves where we, to where we can hear from God in, in cases where we're getting off track and need, there needs to be adjustments. If I begin to believe something that's not true, how can God get me back into the truth so I avoid error? Okay, understand this, many people have started right and ended wrong. Amen. Just like many of us have started wrong and now we're on the right path. Has anyone ever been on the wrong path before? All right, and thank God by His grace, you're on the right path now. But sometimes people go the other way. All right, you can look through church history and you can see some People who are mightily used of God. I mean, tremendous things happened. Yet in their latter years, they got way off base. And totally teaching and preaching stuff that was not true. And they got far away from the things of God. And I think, ah, if that could happen to them, why why is it not going to happen to me? And so I need some protection. I need something to guarantee that I will stay on the right path. And I believe these two things are essential. The first one's internal, and the second one's external. It's a practice that we have. But here's the first thing today, and, and that's, that's humility. Humility is our protection from deception. Okay? Whenever a person becomes proud, that's when they are susceptible to believing lies. Because they cut themselves up, off from any corrective voice a proud person is always right in their own eyes a proud person does not want to hear an opposing position or opinion they just want to maintain their position a proud person is more concerned about being right than they are with what is right and we should never exalt I'm right above what is right I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 with me. Uh, ch- chapter 6, actually. 1 Timothy 6. See, pride doesn't fight for truth. Pride fights for self. And we must remain open to others speaking into our lives. Don't be quick to call wrong those who disagree with you. That's a proud position to take. And again, pride means a person's deceived. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words 
even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. What kind of person? He's proud, knowing nothing. A proud person thinks they know a lot more than they know. A proud person feels that they're at a certain level when they're not at that level, and therefore they open themselves up to believing what's false, and they can't be rescued from that position. I remember uh, having a meeting years ago with an individual who came to ask me um, questions about how we operated and, and uh, why we did certain things. I say we, the church, Life Church, why we did certain things the way we do them and why don't we do this and just, a, just different questions. And he had some uh, preconceived notions or ideas that quite frankly, a lot of them were incorrect, but I was glad that he came to ask. Sometimes people just hold on to their wrong ideas, and they don't like something, and so I don't like the way they do that. Well, you don't even know the way we do it. You just heard something or saw something, and you don't have a bird's eye view. You have a one of these views oftentimes. You only see a little picture, a little part of it, and you don't see the whole thing. But I was glad this person came. He came to ask questions. Why do we do this? Why don't we do this? And uh, I was happy to have that conversation with him. And I sat across and, uh, the desk, and we had that discussion. He asked, and I'd say, well, no, that's actually not what we do. We do this. And, and actually, the reason for it is this. And there was a lot of things I was able to, uh, to help him with and to, to think correctly uh, about the whole ministry and our goals and our vision and, and how everything operates when we got done with that meeting uh, uh, he was about to walk out and he said he said to me well you didn't really say anything that I didn't expect you to say and he, I basically knew everything that you were going to say and I thought you're kidding me were you not in the same meeting as me were we not in this uh, in a dialogue here? Didn't we discuss this? I told you all kinds of things you didn't know. I mean, there was a bunch of stuff that you thought it was one thing, and I said, no, it's actually the other. I thought this could be really profitable here to really help him to work with the vision and flow with what we're doing. And he's, he didn't hear any of it. And I thought, this is crazy. What is going on? I thought, how many times has this happened in church? I'm preaching clear and thinking, yeah, I nailed that one on the head. I go home thinking, yeah, we've got that going, and, and God's doing great things, and we've cleaned up some wrong thinking here today, and God is moving in people's lives. And then you hear, you know, a week later, you remember, Pastor, when you talked about such and such? No. Uh, you know, last week when you said, da, 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 and they, you know, supposedly quote me. Um, no, I actually didn't say that. Yeah, you did know, and good thing we have it recorded. <laughs> you can go listen because not only, I said, how do you know you didn't say that? You could forget. I could, I could forget, yeah, but I don't even believe that. <laughs> so I know I didn't say it. There's, this is one of these things. We've got to work on ourselves. First of all, this issue of pride, it keeps, it keeps us blinded from things, and uh let me, just, let me just take a sidestep. Side I, I realize I, I mentioned this to one of the three services last week. But I've had for a long time this image of the White House in my mind. And when I say the White House, the inside of the White House. 
uh, what it looks like. The outside, I've seen that a million times, you know, on pictures and TV and stuff. Uh, I had this image of what the inside looked like, a particular hall and a stairway. And for some reason, wherever that came from, if I think of inside the White House, I think of that. And I think of another hallway that goes where the president lives and, and, uh, and, and, and different things like that. Last year, our fam- with our family, we went and we visited the White House. And we took a tour. And we went in it and we saw what it actually was. All right? It was different than what I thought. It looked different than the image I had in my mind. But I've, I found that after the fact, after we had come home, And at different times when for whatever reason I would think about the White House, I reverted to what I thought, not what I saw. And I had to correct myself. I'm thinking, I've been there. You know what I'm talking about? In my mind, I'm thinking, that picture is not reality. This one is. Stay on this. But I almost had to, like, make myself do that. And I still sometimes, I can still see that old picture. Why? Because it was there for so long. Even though it wasn't based in reality, I had this conjured up image of what it was and I still have to make myself go back and think what's true when it comes to the truth of God's Word. Here's here's a real situation. People have an image or view of God that sometimes is incorrect, but they've had it a long time. And every time they think about him in relationship to their life and their future and how he moves and how he works, they go to that. Whether it was taught them as a child or they came up with it or whatever, wherever it came from, they have that. And then they come and they read the Word or they hear a message at church and they get it changed. But if they don't stay on it, if they don't keep focused on that, they'll revert back. And just because a person hears something one time, takes a one-hour tour, walks around, looks around, doesn't mean that they're fixed. You might find yourself reverting back. And I know that to be true because I have, we rub shoulders and uh, have conversations, you know, after services at times with people. And and I realize, because sometimes in my mind I think, I've taught that. Why do they think that? Because they're like me. Just because they heard it once or maybe someone was fumbling around in their purse or <laughs> doing something else. And when I said it, they didn't even hear it. There's lots of reasons, but I'm telling you, we have to keep certain things before us and go back again and again and again until eventually it'll become rooted and we'll think correctly. But until that time, we'll go back to that image that we always lived with. Okay? But again, humility. If we stay humble, God can speak to us if we're getting off track. If we don't, He can't speak to us. Say, God can do anything. No, He can't. He can't talk to you. If you're in pride, because you won't receive it. But listen, when I mention this subject, understand that I'm talking about 100% of us here. There is no exception there is not a person in here who doesn't have to deal with pride because you have flesh your flesh likes you wants to be right does not like to be corrected does nothing we we don't want that pride is a part of the flesh and here's the other side to this we all need to make adjustments think about think about this I, i remember when i was a child 
little kid sitting in the back seat of the car, and I would watch my parents drive. And I can remember thinking, they sure do turn a lot. We're driving down an apparent straight road, but yet they're going, and they're constantly turning. What are they doing? They're making little adjustments, aren't they? Little corrections to the course. If they don't, you go out of your lane or you go off the road or you run into somebody else. Those adjustments are necessary for anyone to stay on course, right? If you were to fly an airplane and fly it a long distance, you might, just, you might have your heading off just a few degrees. But if you fly a long distance, you're going to be miles and miles from where you intended uh, to be at your destination, you must make corrections, and you learn in flying to, uh, to find out where the wind is. And if it's pushing you one way, you've got to make a correction and fly a different direction to keep you so you'll end up in the right place. When it comes to our Christian lives, understand again that we must make corrections. We must make adjustments continually. If I don't deal with pride in my life, I won't be able to make those corrections because I won't receive the instructions. I'll think, no, I'm right. What do you mean you're off course? No, I'm not. And especially when God speaks to you through another person. That's when it becomes a challenge. Amen. Someone said, I just really like this church because I agree. Well, you're not going to agree with everything. Anywhere. Eventually, there's going to be disagreement with a person you're married to, with a person in church, with a, with a pastor. Eventually, there's going to be something you disagree on. That's when it becomes a challenge. It's easy when we agree, right? It's a challenge to our pride if there's disagreement. Okay, look at Romans chapter 12. If we stay humble now, God can speak to us. If we don't, he can't. And if we can't hear from God, we can't adjust our course and stay on track. Romans 12 and verse 3, you know this one, right? It says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He said, I don't want anyone to think more highly of themselves than what? than what they ought to think. There is a way that you ought to think about yourself. It's the correct way. It's accurate. And there are some who think higher than what they ought to think. Right? If a person thinks higher than what they ought, doesn't change what they ought. What you ought to think is right. It's true. It's correct. It's accurate. Higher is wrong. It's not a clear picture. That's why he said, think soberly. Don't, don't be drunk where you can't perceive. You can't judge properly. You don't, you, don't, you don't have an accurate perception. But think soberly about what? About yourself. One of the great problems that people have is they're not real with themselves. They don't acknowledge truth concerning their own life. They say, if we put this on a scale, they say, man, I'm, I'm 10. 
when in reality they're eight. But they say, I'm ten. They try to convince everyone else. I'm ten. Pete, me, ten. But they're really eight. How many understand, no matter how many, you can say I'm ten all day long till you're blue in the face. You're still eight. And actually saying that you're ten when you're eight or trying to convince someone else that you're ten when you're eight doesn't help you. It actually harms you because if I, if I think I'm ten and I'm really eight, I'm not going to do what's necessary to get from eight to ten. Why would I? I'm already there, I think. I consider myself to already be ten. So I've got all these genuine eights around me, these people who think soberly, they're taking steps and doing what's necessary to take their life from 8 to 10 while I'm hanging out thinking I'm 10. Meanwhile, staying at 8 and not improving, not doing anything to, to help, not making any adjustments or course corrections because I think I'm already there. That's what pride does. It gives you a false perception of reality. It gives a wrong idea of what's really true. And so the Lord says, I want you to think right. Think soberly. People play mind games with each other. Marriages play mi- people play mind games with the, with each other trying to leave a certain perception and and shading things to to reflect that they're better or they did something that they didn't really do. And in reality, how does it help? Well, I think I convinced them that I'm 10, but you're still 8. Hmm. Big deal you convinced them. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Doesn't change the way you are. It just changes the fact that you're never going to be a 10. You're staying 8. Amen. Look at Acts chapter 2 with me. Let me show you something else here. Many people think too highly of their own opinions. But again, you are the way you are no matter what you think you are. And so we've got to deal with this issue of pride. Now here's the other, here's the other thing. I said there was two. If we deal with that pride and, 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 and keep a humble heart, it'll help us to be able to receive from God. Now, here's the practical side. Here's the natural thing that we need to keep us out of error. In Acts chapter 2, you, you, you notice here in verse uh, 41, those who gladly received this word were baptized and 3,000 souls were added to them. All right? So there was 3,120 people in the church at this time. They were all saved. Look what it says in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. These are the things the early church did immediately after receiving the Lord. The Bible said they continued steadfastly, right? Another translation, the New International Version says it this way. Some of you may have this. It says what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Not that they were, uh, you know, someone bugged them and, and, you know, got on their case about getting together. No, they did it all by themselves. Hmm. They didn't get a newsletter in the mail. They, they didn't get all ki- kinds of reminders. No, they just did it all by themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, or as this translation says, they continued steadfastly. That is a key 
to staying safe and protected from the lies of the enemy. What? They stayed with the apostles' doctrine. Now, understand in their day, this is Acts 2. The church just started. There are no churches yet. There's no local churches. There's no pastors. These things are yet to be implemented in, uh, in, in the church. But these people, so we could say today that we hold fast to the apostles' doctrines through the local church, through uh, the other ministry gifts that God has placed in the church like the pastor. And this is uh, what they did. The question is, what are we doing? If they needed that, what do we need today to keep protected? I'm talking about a natural practice. Today it is common for people to assume that they are living the Christian life while, you know, attending church services maybe every other weekend, maybe less. And I understand this, that the Bible doesn't give us a directive in this regard. It doesn't say, you need to go to church X number of times per year or X number of times per month. Because how many understand we live under grace and this is not a merit system where we, uh, you know, if we go so many times, then God really likes us and we're really righteous. And it's not really about that. It is more about being smart. It is more about wisdom. Amen. God set up the fact that we would gather together and that we would be a part of local churches for the uh, for one purpose among many is that it keeps us safe from lies because we're constantly being bombarded from the world 24-7 thing, of things that are just not true. And listen, if you hear something over and over and over again, you tend to start accepting it. Just like an advertisement. You see that ad 25 times, you're going to go buy it. You know what I'm talking about? Or you're going to go eat there. You're going to go shop there. That's the way advertising generally works. What about our spiritual lives? What about keeping our minds thinking right and keeping our life on the right track? We've got to counteract the many, many lies that come against us with a constant steadfastness and personal devotion to truth. It's not about, well... You know, again, following some rigid guideline. We're not under a law, but I think it would be wise for us as believers to ask, what did Jesus have in mind when it comes to the local church and our participation in it? What does he think? How often does does he think I ought to be uh, participating in these things? All right. I'm not telling you, I don't have a Bible verse, but I, I can tell you this, that the early church went to church every day, just in case you wanted to know. And I think the American church has drifted a long ways from that. Again, not to, that's not a command. Otherwise, we'd, we would be having services every day if I saw that as a command that we had to do that. I don't. But I want to know, and I want to ask the question for myself and challenge you to ask the question for yourself. What do you think the Lord wants? What do you think He intended for this church that He said, I will build and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Amen. And so many times people today, many times Christians today are less influenced by the church than the local drunk is by the bar. But I want to know, what is my devotion? What is my devotion to God's plan 
not only in my humility internally, but my practice externally. What guides my life? And what's, what are the standards that I live by? And I want you to look at Hebrews 13. We're going to finish here today. But submission to church leaders must be understood and practiced. Now, when I say that, I realize some who have experienced extremes, and there have been weird churches and all kinds of things and, and weird leadership out there, and, and that could make some feel uneasy. Um, but understand, first of all, no true godly leader is wanting to, to run somebody else's life. We're talking about in the areas of spiritual things and spiritual leadership and God's plan and His vision for a, for a, for a group or things like that. Uh, not talking about someone who's just gone off the deep end and, and they're, they're on some authority trip or anything like that. But God set these things up for a reason, and I believe one of the reasons is protection. He has divinely equipped and enabled certain people to lead and keep people from going off track. Ultimately, it's always up to the individual to follow or not follow, to listen and heed or in pride do their own thing. But God has set up a system that, is, that, is, that works. It's just, it's just like evangelism. How many know God set up a system to win the world? We're not always working the system real well, though. What's the system? It's kind of like a multi-level system. You know, one person reaches, and maybe if they reach two more, and that person reaches two more, and that person reaches two more, it, it won't be a very short time until the whole world is one. Right? It's a good plan. It's a matter of are we working the plan. God set up a system of protection for all of his children. He did. And it's a humility of heart, and it's a steadfastness, and a commitment, a personal dedication to the apostles' doctrine, or in our, as the church has developed, to the local church. All right? These things are God-ordained for our safety and for our help. And this keeps us on the path if we'll yield to it. All right? This, again, I'm not talking about blindly following without proving doctrine. You know, we've taught that in this series. Judge what I say. Judge, judge everything I, that, I, that I teach and preach. Judge it with the Word of God. A responsible believer will, will do that. Uh, but it doesn't mean there won't be times of disagreement where there's an opportunity to submit. And this is protection. Look at this verse we wanted to read. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Why? For they watch out for your souls. They watch out for your souls. In other words, there's a God-given anointing and call for someone else to watch out for us. But if I don't give myself to that or allow that place in my life, that purpose and work of God becomes ineffectual in my life. I'm resisting something here. Now, that, now this is a, there's a lot that could be said about this, but there, here's one thing to consider. When the Scripture said, obey those who have the rule over you, how many know that has to be um, identifiable? I can't just in general, in principle, accept that. I should be able to identify those who have the rule over me, right? If I can't identify that, I can't obey that. 
I can't do that verse. And that's one of the problems we have uh, with people who don't really want to be connected anywhere. Sometimes folks come and you may be one of them. I love you whether you're wrong or not (laughs) or right or not. But sometimes people come and they just want to kind of float you know, attend a church here and hurt, you know, maybe have they have three or four churches that they go to. Well, I think all of us, should, including myself, should be able to answer the question, who's your pastor? Or according to this verse, who, who has the rule over you? Not meaning someone's going to come and tell you how to do everything in your life and what car to buy and what house to buy. And that's not what people get into weird extremes and don't let that take you away from the truth. Okay, but people should be able to identify because if not, no one does. If you can't identify, no one does. And and here's the here's the issue with that. It removes a safety net that God has established to keep us in truth. Cuz human beings have a inclination to get off the path. Whether the road is crooked, the wind is blowing, somebody else bumps into you, whatever the reason, there's got to be adjustments made. And this is one of the main channels that God uses to instruct us and to pull us back in line. Now, understand, a person could be connected well to a local church and have a pastor be able to identify those who have the rule over them. If they're still in pride, they won't receive anything. Hmm. So there's, I really believe there's an internal and there's an external thing that, that is necessary to keep us on track. And, and again, uh, I think we shouldn't assume that we are always right and that we always see the complete picture. And we should be able to trust our leaders uh, that they have our best interest and, will in, and, and God's will in mind for us. If we can't trust, you know, obviously that's a big hindrance to any relationship. Uh, but God said, I'm going to pull some of these people into special account too. Because I'm going to do it this way, God knew it was risky. He knew there'd be people who would be goofed up, right? And so he said, I'm going to hold them to special account. They're going to give an account for what they do, but I'm not going to back off the plan because some of them are going to do the wrong thing because this is the way that I'm going to lead my church. And so I never want to let a bad experience of the past. I never want to let some extreme story that I heard about or read about keep me from walking with God. There are people that, will avoid, that avoid churches altogether these days. They've received the Lord, but they avoid them because someone hurt them. They, someone did something wrong. And, uh, and listen, hey, that's, a, that's terrible. I mean, I hate to hear it. And uh, I want them fixed up and healed. But I know this that God is still going to stick with his plan of building the church, which is the local church. And that, against that, the gates of hell won't prevail. It will always bounce back. We're dealing with imperfect people, imperfect leaders, and, you know, and, uh, and we're doing our best to, to, to bring out the will of God in the earth. But I know this, it's here for our safety and our protection. Keep us, keep us out of air. Keep us on track. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had together today. I thank you for speaking to our hearts and helping us and directing us in the way that we should go into all the truth. And thank you for uh, that you're merciful enough and you're kind enough 
that when we've missed it at times, when we've gone astray, I thank you you're always there to speak to us, to send someone to us, to lead us back. And so we don't have to fear getting off track. We don't have to fear going astray. We can have a confidence and a reliance that you'll always rescue us if we're thinking wrong or believing wrong. You'll always speak to, speak to us or send someone to us to help us get back. Thank you for your love and your help in this regard. What a good God you are. Thank you for ministering to every person in every life, keeping us straight, keeping us on track. I give you all the praise. I give you all the glory. Father, I do pray for those, real specifically and most importantly now, for those who've come to church today that are not saved.